wisdom rise ancestors surround us rise. welcome to advancing the art of aging i'm carol silver elliott president and ceo of the jewish home family a continuum of services for older adults located in northern New Jersey. And I am particularly delighted to have as our guest today, Joy Solomon. I would have introduced Joy as the director of the Weinberg Center for Elder Abuse Prevention at River Spring Health in New York. But Joy, you have a new title. Would you like to share it with us? <laughs> I do. Uh, sure. Thanks for having me, Carol. Um, yeah, my new title is I'm the vice president of elder justice and spiritual engagement at River Spring Living. That's awesome. Um, it's clear yeah. that we're going to want to do another podcast at least and talk about spiritual engagement. But today we really want to focus on the on the elder justice and elder abuse prevention piece of, of your role. And I know that elder abuse prevention has long been a passion of yours. Can you just Tell us a little bit about how you became engaged in this work. Um, yeah, sure. I was a prosecutor in the Manhattan DA's office um, in the late 80s and 90s through really almost the end of, the, of 1998. Um, and in that time I was at the DA's office, I... I did child abuse work and domestic violence work and ended up um, working in what was then called special prosecutions. Um, and, and really, for me, it was mostly elder abuse cases. And, um, you know, it's um, a hard thing to say, like, you find your passion or niche in something like family violence. Um, but I, I really did. And I really found that. Um, being a voice for that population of vulnerable, often voiceless people, um, which by that I mean older adults who are victims because of their age, um, vulnerability. I, I really loved doing that work. And that's really how I got started in elder abuse. You know, I have actually shared when I've spoken about elder abuse prevention, the story of how the Weinberg Center uh, came to be. Would you would you share it for our listeners? Sure. So I um I left um the DA's office and went to um the uh, Peace Women's Justice Center, which is a small nonprofit, small and mighty nonprofit. I think like us, Carol, um, <laughs> small and mighty, um in White Plains, and I ran their elder law, elder abuse section. Um, also, I answered a hotline and like the same, the issue of um, older people calling, it wasn't that often, but like when older people call talking about either intimate partner violence or abuse that was occurring, um, being perpetrated by their adult children or grandchildren or some other person that they trusted, um, and if home wasn't safe anymore, I basically had no options to give them. And that was also true in the DA's office. Um, and so I was, um, as part of my work on the, at the Women's Justice Center, I was sitting on a public-private partnership board where I met Dan Reingold, who's the CEO um, and president of River Spring Living, which includes um, 
in its continuum of care, uh, the Heber home at Riverdale. And, you know, Dan and I got talking about what else but old people and elder abuse. Um, and he said, you know, what, what do you see is, you know, the next thing? And I said, well, I really want to create the shelter for older people because none exist. And it's a need that's pretty serious and would be life changing for older people if they had that. And he basically said, well, we could do that at the Hebrew home. I mean, we have beds and food and we take care of older people anyway. So, you know, we could do that. And um, we wrote a grant to the Weinberg Foundation and um, they've been generously saying yes to us um, since 2004. It's amazing. And part of yeah. that work that I think is so powerful is the replication piece of this. Can you talk about that for a second? Well, we started the Weinberg Center for Elder Justice here at the Hebrew Home and um, we're able to bring people in uh, from, the, from the external community into our community um, to provide them a safe place, legal service, and other trauma-informed services. And when we started doing that, I think it was a combination of probably Dan going out in the world and telling people about the issue of elder abuse and what we were doing and um, just kind of other people hearing about the Weinberg Center calling and saying, you know, we, we have this problem, maybe we could do that too. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was that what we had learned and was learning was so important to share um, that other communities were facing the same problem with the same gap in service. And what if we just helped other people to create a model that worked in their community, not exactly ours, because our resources and community is different than others, but to really help people to do that. And the vehicle through which we did that was something called the SPRING Alliance, and that stands for Shelter Partners Regional National Global. And it's really meant to be um, a vehicle to help others um, replicate our model. And, you know, Carol, you have been um, an incredible partner in so many ways. I mean, when you were in Ohio, um, you were part of the Spring Alliance there. And I think the first shelter, I know the first shelter in Ohio and a real leader there. And then, you you know, when you came to um, back here um, again, you know, really bringing your leadership um, to open shelter where you are, and also um, really helping expand the word um, through through your role in leading age. So, um, you know, you through so many ways have really helped um, the growth of the shelter movement, um, which, you know, we hope will just continue just similar to you know, how there's a family justice center in every community, rural, suburban, urban, how there's um, domestic violence shelters in all those places. Um, I believe that there should be uh, shelters for older adults who experience abuse in every single community, too. I totally agree, and thank you for the kind words. You know, I, I entered the world of long-term care services in 2007 when I started in Cincinnati, and probably within a year, um, Dan Reingold had sort of targeted me as somebody who needed to open an elder abuse shelter. And I, I hadn't known Dan before, but every time I saw him, he said to me, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. <laughs> and finally, it was like, all right, let's have a conversation. And I will never forget assembling my management staff at Cedar Village 
and doing a conference call, you know, back in the day before the Zoom world at, with you mm-hmm. and Dan and some other folks on your team. And we probably were on the phone a good two hours. And at the end of it, we all sat there with the realization that this was something we had to do. And when I said Mm -hmm. to the assembled team, who wants to take the lead, like every hand in the room went up because we were Mm -hmm. so, it was this moment of recognizing that there were victims of elder abuse already in our walls that we hadn't recognized. And that there were people in the community that were were not being cared for in any way, were not finding safety and were potentially having their lives shortened as a result of being victims of, not just shortened, but diminished in quality as a result of being victims of abuse. It was a very eye-opening moment for us, and I I think Mm. changed certainly changed my thought process. I don't think people recognize how significant an issue elder abuse is. Yeah, and and one that really impacts, um, you know, every socioeconomic level. I mean, I don't think people realize that um, for people for whom, you know, are really living um, with pretty uh, minimal means that if someone is taking the little bit that they have, um, they often have to choose between medication, food, or rent, um, all the way to, you know, the wealthiest who um, can be equally as vulnerable um, and maybe have um, kind of more in terms of uh, quantity to lose, but um, but it really does impact people of all socioeconomic levels, and certainly, you know, every other diverse group. Um, everybody's impacted and affected by elder abuse. It touches everybody. It certainly does. You know, we we often have said we would like to see the conversation about elder abuse elevated to the level of the conversation about child abuse, right? That, you know, your child, you take your child to the pediatrician with some crazy injury and they ask you as a parent to step out in the hall so they can speak to your child privately. But that doesn't always happen with older adults. Yeah, I think it rarely happens. I mean, I think so often, um, and I know you've probably done this kind of survey too, is asking older people, you know, what is the most difficult thing about getting older? And I think the answer, the number one answer I get is I become invisible. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not looked at, talked to, given the same respect with professionals who do see them, um, who should be asking questions that obviously if you are experiencing abuse no matter what form of abuse um, believe me that's going to impact and affect your medical and mental health so as clinicians I'm certainly one to get to see older people alone Um, this may be the only opportunity that older person has to be with a professional who could ask them about their safety and well-being and um, I, I think that's just you know, a critical message, too, that we um, we need to be thinking differently about how to empower and and then provide support and safety for older people. Absolutely. I think that's huge. I've had this this experience myself taking my mother-in-law who'd had a fall to the orthopedist and the doctor came in the room and started addressing all the questions to me. And, you know, mm-hmm. how how would you know that I wasn't involved in her fall? And 
I literally put my hand up and said, you need to ask her. You know, yeah. it's it's not for me to tell you what's going on with her. I'm not in her body, and she's more than capable of answering the questions. But it was one of right. those real-life moments that said to me, wow, this is happening all day, every day, in every kind yep. of setting. Yep. It is a big concern. Yep. And, and not, you know, with malintent. I mean, it happens in law offices, too. You know, older people um, want to uh, do advanced care planning and, and make wills and do other have other documents right and maybe their adult child uh, makes the appointment and is paying the bill but really it's still the person whose assets are being distributed that's the client of that lawyer so the lawyer has a responsibility to talk alone to that person and we see so often that that's not really happening the lawyer brings the whole family in and you know it doesn't ever give the older person an opportunity to say hey listen i'm being um you know, uh, there's a lot of pressure happening here, and this is not what I want, or I don't trust that child um, to make these medical decisions for me, you know. So we do need to be, um, you know, looking at, again, our relationship to an older person and to the to the best we can, um, making sure that their, their voice is heard. For sure. I mean, yeah. the reality is that's ageism at its finest, right? That is... This expectation that because someone's chronological age is 85, that they can no longer speak credibly for themselves. That's just not true. Right. Joy, can you give us, if someone's listening to us and doesn't know what we're talking about when we talk about elder abuse, can you talk about what elder abuse is and, and kind of give us an example of what people might be seeing that they should be aware of? Yeah, sure. I mean, elder abuse is um, some um, something that is happening to an older person. It may be financial exploitation. It may be psychological um, abuse. It may be physical, which is often kind of what we see in the media. Um, it may be sexual um, occurring against uh, an older person. Um, it may be more than one of those things. Um, it often occurs on, in more than one incident. Um, and the, what's kind of the hallmark of elder abuse that we see is it often involves a relationship of trust between the person who is being harmed and the person who is causing harm. And that relationship of trust makes it less likely um, that that older person will make a report about it. So the numbers are like, I think now the uh, WHO says one in six older people experience abuse in their lifetime. Um, And then there's a study that was done in New York that I think says only one in, I think the numbers are one in four um, will be reported. And um, so that makes it, you know, a real challenge because so much of it lays below the surface. Um, and an example, you know, might be uh, where, um, and we, we see this a lot at the Weinberg Center, where family members are living together, um, the, let's say, adult child um, gets access to um, their parent's ATM card and gets the, um, the PIN and begins using that card and taking out money for themselves. Um, maybe they um, start using some of the medication of their parent. Uh, maybe the, the parent has some um, 
you know, uh, pain medication that they start to use. And so what we see is kind of, you know, that, that ATM withdrawal happens not just once, but 10, 20, 30 times mm -hmm. and it increases in the amount that's taken out. And as that older person um, is maybe not getting the medication they need or the food they need or the money is now uh, unavailable to them, um, they're having to make choices about should I pay for my rent this month or, you know, should I pay for food or, or what does that look like? So mm -hmm. you can see it becomes like this very insidious experience. And especially if it's your child or grandchild, um, you know, how much has to happen? How much do you have to lose? How bad does it have to get until you involve law right. enforcement or right. help somebody? So that's kind of a quick and dirty example. But, you know, it can be um, not just in a family where they're living together, but, a, you know, a family where it's of great means and a person is using mom or dad's money without their permission or consent. Right, right. And so when someone comes into shelter who is a victim of abuse, what happens? So for us, when they come in, um, they will get, um, they will go into a, a room um, on our campus that supports their medical needs. Um, so they'll get a whole care team like any other person who comes into a skilled nursing facility and they'll be evaluated medically and all that stuff and they'll have a care team, social worker. And then the Weinberg Center team, um, who is consists of some lawyers and social workers and a public health professional, we will work with that older person really to figure out what is it you want? Um, what, what have you lost? How can we help you get that back? And what do you want moving forward? Um, and really, this is the trauma-informed way we know how to make sure that we are re-empowering um, and giving agency back as best we can to that person who's lost so much. And some of the times it's, I want to get back in my house, so you got to kick my son out and get it cleaned up and, you know, help with the court system. Some of the time that person um, may lack capacity, and so... There maybe there's a guardian involved and the decision is really they need skilled nursing. And so staying here or going to some other skilled nursing facility is really the best decision. Um, sometimes it's finding them new housing. And that is our biggest challenge um, as housing, you know, uh, and it's not just in New York, but housing across this country is really um, there's quite a paucity of housing um, for people, um, lower income housing. That's that's you know, is reasonable. Um, so that's really our biggest challenge. But um, people stay here often until we can figure out um, a discharge plan that's affordable and that works best for them. It is such powerful work and so critically important to the well-being of older adults. I know that you and I could talk all day on this topic. Um, <laughs> we have talked for long periods of time on this topic, but yeah. at, at this yeah. juncture, um, we're going we're gonna to bring our conversation today to a close. I, I know what incredible work that the Weinberg Center has done and that you have done. I am, I'm a huge fan of, of yours and of everything that you and your team have done and really inspiring all of us who work with older adults to understand this complex issue, but not just to understand it, to take action. So 
Thank you, Joy, not just for being here today, but for everything that you do. Much appreciated. Oh, thanks so much, Carol. Some mutual admiration today, <laughs> definitely. You. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Rise, all of the children rise. Elders with wisdom rise. Ancestors surround us. Rise.